Yo, welcome to Films D. This is Richard, your host. I'm here with Joe Walters, co-host. Uh, Chris Clark will be with us later, but we have a special guest. Got to get this show rolling. Uh, can't wa- waste this man's time. We have Troy Pryor, founder of Creative Cypher and Troy Pryor Studios. Yeah, I'm kind of loud here. You, you, you. Is it my levels or is it the, my headphones? No, I turned it. I turned it. Okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. You can kill the music though. Yeah. Uh, how you doing, Troy? I'm great, man. I'm excited. This is uh, an important week. Yeah. This is an important week. Yeah. So you a Marvel man? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Marvel. Okay. All right. Um, you you get the um Tennessee Coates uh, versions of the Black Panther? You know what? I actually just got his. I ha- I read his book. Which book? So between the world and me, or yeah. Okay. Just read that last one. Um, my fiance gave me the book, and um, so I grew up actually being X Men. Mm. X-Men guy so I was all X-Men X-Men then eventually it grew into the other Marvel characters so I was really excited when I heard that Disney and Fox did that deal a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago mm-hmm. so I'm like alright now how are they going to incorporate X-Men to this Infinity War series because you know there's certain characters that you need to tell the, the entire story There, there's some good news and bad news to that oh like, man come uh, on man the, ba- the good news is well I would say the bad news is it's going to take about a year or two for that deal to clear regulation because I know Congress is looking at it. Okay. And at this current state, you know, it might be might take a little bit longer. But um, so that eventually they will incorporate the X-Men into, okay. yeah, that's the plan. Well, they usually take, you know, they usually take a year, two years to build up anticipation for films. Yeah. You know, anyway, so I don't think the viewing public is really going to miss a beat. Yeah, and honestly, I, I feel like Disney would just be like, you know what, I'm not asking for per- permission. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. Like, you we go. we going to do what we got to <laughs> do. We can fix it on the back end. Um, So I, I highly doubt, you know, uh, Disney already kind of did that with the first, uh, the second Avengers movie when they had the uh, uh one of the Olsen's twins. And, uh, Scarlet Witch? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they already violated their deals that they had right back then. So I was wondering how that worked because they had Quicksilver. Yeah. Uh, well, they didn't call them by that name oh, in the movie. Right, that was how right. they avoided it. Yeah, you're um, right. So they can work around it. They can just call him, you know, uh, by his name, their regular names or something like that. Or and They, don't they can just them, come through and start whooping ass. They don't call them mutants either. That's the other thing. Because yeah. I think that name or that word is trademarked or something yeah, by, yeah, yeah. by uh, Fox. Yeah, for with X-Men, yeah. Um, but they did, what Marvel did since they didn't have them was they really got into exploring the Inhumans. You watch mm-hmm. any of that? I didn't. You know what? I didn't. Did it even la- did it last? It was a short four episode, oh, well, six episode arc. On okay. Eight. Was it eight? It was between six and eight episode arc for it um at the top of last uh you know fall season premieres. Okay. I wonder what I thought I read. Yeah, I was reading something an article about because I didn't I didn't watch any of it, but I read an article about it. I didn't think it did what they you know what they wanted it to do. Right. Nah, I, if anything, they introduced Black Bolt, but you know if they ever wanted to introduce the Illuminati to uh the world of uh Marvel, they mm-hmm. can now. But yeah, the whole Inhuman story now line on a t on a tv show is kind of like really low production it's it looked almost like some cw type of stuff mm. so it was oh, i think it was produced by the same guy that did the iron fist netflix okay yeah. and I that would a explain that. a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah i watched a little bit of iron fist and um luke cage the whole netflix their umbrella yeah of projects and defenders so 
you know, um, it's interesting. So you are hosting a private, or is it a private screening of the Black Panther? Yeah, so we have a private screening of Black Panther coming up uh, February 19th. That's President's Day, so kids are out of school. Mm-hmm. We're giving out about 300 tickets to Chicago youth to go see the film. We're doing two simultaneous 11 a.m. screenings at Studio Movie Grill in Chatham. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Uh, the Black McDonald's Operators Association has come on board as a sponsor. Ernst & Young has come on board for that. The theater is really excited about it, so much so that they've already offered us an opportunity to do A Wrinkle in Time, which is coming out next Great. month, Ava DuVernay and Oprah's film. And then they said, well, if you like doing this, you know we own theaters all around the country. So it turned into a whole other conversation. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I, t- I told them, let's let's execute this one first. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's make sure this this one rolls off. But we are... Uh, really on par to doing a wrinkle in time next uh, and then potentially doing it nationwide with studio movie girls they own 30 around the country but on the 19th um, we've got about 10 to 12 Chicago youth based organizations and each of those organizations are getting around 10 15 plus tickets got media coming out each screening is going to be followed by a panel with um, with individuals from the artist community uh, that are on board there so you've got individuals like uh, Craig Harris, who's a five-time Emmy-winning writer. He's actually a voice of several characters from Mortal Kombat. He's right here in Chicago. We've got Charles Gardner, who is the current president of SAG After Chicago. He's got two national commercials running right now, so you may see him and not know who he is. Um, and he's also the vice president of Creative Cipher. We've got Ty Davis, who's on a panel, who's actually a lead in The Shy right now. Uh, Natasha Parker and david leonard who are over locations for a lot of the shows here in chicago including the shy so when you see you're watching chicago pd fire empire the shy any of those shows that are in chicago and you're like oh, i know that area i know that spot well those are the those are two of the people that are responsible as a matter of fact uh santa cole works for natasha so it's it's all you know it's all connected um pretty cool we've got an original or excuse me, a former uh, cartoonist for Marvel who's coming out as well. Uh, we'll be giving away some swag to the kids, SAG after aluminum bottles. Uh, it's a magazine, True Star, uh, the magazine. They have a Black History Month uh, pamph- uh, booklet that they have coming out. So we'll, they'll be a part of it as well, bringing out kids, but also be media rolling out. We'll be there. So, it's you know, we're really excited about it. It's the first time I've done something like this, uh, but I'm doing it also with uh, Royal and Be Super, which are two other really cool artist organizations in Chicago. And we're really excited about that. So that's that's in the morning. And then in the evening, we got a whole different event. That's the comedy show. Oh. Yeah. I'm friends with Charles. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to. Yeah, you got to have him on the show. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to make it happen now that I, I got a direct connect to him. I had yeah, no man. idea. Why that's... is Facebook hiding my friends? <laughs> Um, I told you, man, the cypher is plugged, dude. Like, it all yeah. walks of life. Anybody? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'm trying to figure... I feel like I may have met him through his fraternity when he was recruiting. I think that's how it happened. Okay. Well, he's a part of an amazing fraternity. Yeah. Yeah. They, they uh, that, that fraternity that he's a part of is awesome. It's, uh, it's a really, really great fraternity full of cool, some cool cats. <laughs> <laughs> hey... Like all fraternities, I'm. Sh- there's no doubt. No, about but that. you know this one is special. This one is special. <laughs> yeah, this one is special. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what is it called? What is it called? 
You mean what? What is that? That amazing fraternity called? Yeah. <laughs> that amazing fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha for Cor- Oh, look at me, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. All right, you in the same fraternity? Absolutely. Okay. All right. I, I, Man, that's I, a, I hear the plot pride, twist. The pride. I hear the pride in your voice. <laughs> Um, that's dope, man. I'm, I'm really, uh, now I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. Uh, now that we got more connections than just, you know, we, the immediate, you know, in my, in the top mm-hmm. of my mind, you know, yeah. so, uh, that's dope. Yeah. Charles, uh, Ty Davis. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's attractive. <laughs> um, yeah, she's there's a no good background f- story on her on uh, her IMDB. So is she married? I, you know what we uh we are board members for the cipher she's a you know really good friend of mine so i'm I'm um, super proud of what she's doing i'm only asking this question because i know chris chris clark would come through here our other co-host asking these kind of questions (laughs) um it's a couple actresses from uh the shy as well as other shows that this guy is fond of so he's our um he's our uh in-house um yeah jet magazine Jet Magazine man, so gotcha. you know. He, he, <laughs> um, Speaking of that, I'm actually reading a really good book right now. Oh yeah, it's um called Succeeding Against All Odds. It's an autobiography of John H. Johnson. Mm. Mm. Succeeding Against All Odds. Yeah. So the founder of Johnson Publishing, which you know owns Ebony and Jet. So as soon as you say that, I'm like, who happens to be another member of that amazing fraternity that we uh, mm. we mentioned? These man, all right, all right, all right. We got we got uh the alpha fi- alphas in here, you know. Right, That's you just do alpha gotta series. respect basically, man. Right. I mean, when is your founder's day? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we got to do it in jealous. the month. <laughs> um, no, 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 we at the end of the year, okay, okay, yeah, all right. So, um, yeah, uh, well, I'll get all of you guys before the end of the year and then we can do a recap show, right? Um, yeah. but um, yeah, no, I uh. I thought that was Chris. Uh, sorry about that. Um, so you have been um, you you we when we started talking before the podcast, you were giving me a background on how Creative Cipher came to be and the many um, uh, brands under Creative Cipher that mm-hmm. uh, are are really uh, uh, working towards the overarching goal of Creative Cipher. Was that, uh, uh, I guess, a, a issue of trial and error, or was that uh, uh, you basically taking command of your education? How did that come about? I mean, you know, it was all of it. I, I would say it was more of a, just an organic evolution. You know, mm-hmm. it was never originally designed to be an organization at all. It was, you know, I'm I'm in the industry. I came in the industry as a voiceover actor, I've done voiceover for plenty, you know, commercials and things of that nature and, you know, TV, film and all the theater. But what I noticed was a lack of connections, um, a lack of uh, a community in some aspects uh, as it relates to creating our own content and figuring out how to get to a position where we never had to ask for permission. So I would go on set and as a performer and I'd see how how things are operating and how it works on, you know, if I'm working on Chicago Fire, whatever it is, you know, a big budget project, and then I go see maybe an independent project, and it wasn't because it was a lack of talent, it may be a lack of resources. And in my mind, that was because you had uh, one person or a small amount of individuals trying to do too much. Mm -hmm. And that that usually occurs when you don't have access to resources. And it's not that, you know, this is a, 
you know, I mean, yeah, they're going to be people that people, other people just don't want to work with. But in my opinion, it was more so just we didn't know who else was around. And it was as simple as that. It was just, yo, you are a dope DP. You know, you're a decent writer, but I know somebody who's an amazing writer. Why don't you all team up? You know, like you are uh, an amazing performer. But when you are directing and producing and writing and editing the whole thing, it affects your performance in front. Why don't you remove some of those hats and just focus on one of them, at least for this project? It doesn't mean you can't do those other roles on the projects. But ultimately, the goal was to get to a position where we not only were we never had to ask for an opportunity. We could create mm-hmm. our own opportunities, but it was a result of the quality of the content that we were putting out. And so I had to work, work my way backwards. Like that was the, the name of the game was the content. Like when you produce, when you produce this, how do you have the resources to produce something that's that quality that can get distro, that can get on iTunes, that can get, you know, it can take you, they can have some legs, they can win at a festival. Well, if you break that down, you got to have access to resource. Well, how do you have access to resources? You got to know the people that have the resources. Well, how do you get to the people that have the resources? You got to you know, somehow be that dude on set talking to everybody, or you got to create something that attracts the individuals. And I remember coming from playing two sports in college, I was a linebacker, U of I, so I would attack everything. And I'm like, but I would burn myself out because I'd be at events trying to network and network and network. And there's value there, but there has to be, it has to be done uh, in a savvy way, you know, but ultimately it's got to boil back to, you know, your value like how do you position yourself or build it to where you're not attacking it like a linebacker it's coming to you like because you're a magnet now and that was the goal like how do you get to a position so creative cypher was really born out of a one event where we invited 30 people to it and the energy was really dope in the room and everybody felt like we could connect we continued to do that on um, a bi-monthly basis and then it eventually it turned into what was called Cypher Live that eventually turned into a live event where we had red carpets and screenings of comedians opened up and spoken word artists and food and uh, live art. And it just became this aggregator of dope artists with the ultimate goal of bringing the right people in the room. You bring the right amount of people in the room, like minded individuals. It will organically put you in a position to collaborate. Which gets us to back to to the original goal. How do how do we put us ourselves in a position where if you have a dope short film, you're not at a standstill. Yeah. You know exactly who you can call. I mean, before we started this podcast, you mentioned like two three names, and I'm like, I know them, I know them, I know them. They know me. Like it's it's all the best. It's got to be about community first, and that was the whole goal with the cipher. It evolved into a non for profit and having programming and things of that nature. Um, organically and then as artists came they would bring their companies they would bring their resources and then we built out our website which is uh which is actually this is going to be like the fourth version of the website and we're working on our third version of the app uh now you see other companies that are represented in the network of creative cypher podcast films different shows like low strung comedy night and as a result of that that turned into us supporting artists in their live events which leads us to a comedy show 
a spoken word event, an event where we brought we brought in David Banner two years ago. We brought in Issa Rae last year for an event with 450 people. So it's like, you know, I looked at Disney and I said, that's it right there. That's that was the goal. What is like you say, who is who is Disney asking? Right. Yeah. Who why, who would they be who asking? Disney to, asking yeah, to get permission to right. take right take the rights to something that technically belongs to Marvel in the first place. Um I mean, but uh yeah. So was that Issa Rae event, was that the um her launch of uh Insecure or was that a different no, event? No, that was actually a Black History Month event at UIC. Okay. And so we partnered with UIC, another talent agency here in Chicago, Black McDonalds Operators Association. And uh, it was so UIC was already doing it, mm-hmm. and they brought uh, another talent agency in and then brought us in to help spread the word, bring in some more sponsorship to bring to bring her out. But it was a packed event uh, right off of Halsted, I think it's their their uh, student center, and it was a you have 450 millennials in the audience, you know, mostly African American. But ultimately, as a person who was a co-chair for New Media for sag and on the board, it wasn't just that this was Issa Rae, is that this is somebody who embodies exactly what we're talking about as far as diversity, millennial, creating your own opportunities. I mean, her uh, the amazing stuff that she's doing right now with uh, Color Creative, I believe, is her, yeah. her Color organization. Uh, but to know that Insecure came out of you know what she was originally doing with the adventures of awkward black girl yeah she had several iterations of yeah yeah, the um uh the um what was that series with the guys the um uh i can't remember the name of that series it was a damn it was a like a black guy group anyhow but yeah that she did do a lot of the comedy yeah it was a comedy uh, yeah, Dorm Entertainment. Yeah, dorm Entertainment, yeah. yeah. Oh, they, yeah. they were they, they So were she was working too. with those like guys, them. yeah. And yeah. then she, um, before that, too, she, uh, what's up, Chris? Good to see you here. Chris in the building. <laughs> um, My bad was uh, digging through the tundra outside. I hear you, I hear you. It's cold this out is there. Chicago. Um, but, yeah, and, and a lot of people don't know or uh, don't know or don't like realize that she had a lot of iterations of things she was doing prior to mm-hmm. her success with the awkward black girl series um and i mean she even once she got that she still you know she had a lot of people coming to her with abc trying to get her to you know execute on a deal uh she was trying to uh get to a point where she got beyond the experience of awkward black girl mm-hmm. and really had con- creative control um, and she has that at HBO and uh, as well as several other people that are working at HBO and all, a, a lot of black creatives mm-hmm. are taking control of a lot of what they're doing, whether they're doing it financially with low budget projects that are just creatively rich, like get out, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the most successful films of last year. Uh, and that kind of brings me back to something you brought up earlier, which was about, um, resources, um, Jason Bloom, who's a producer of uh, Get Out, he was today on THR's, uh, you know, conversations uh, 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 forum with uh, creatives. Um, it was basically a roundtable. They've been doing his new series at Sundance. And so um, I only know about it because of an re- entertainment reporter at the Tribune that I follow named Nina Mintz. And she was talking about how 
they got to a point where they were talking to Ridley Scott and Jason Bloom was on the panel and Seth Rogen and all of these guys are talking about, you know, how it, how it is as a producer to finance your project and what it comes down to not ne- is not necessarily having millions of dollars. And that was really Jason's point was like, you know, I'm not trying to do a project that's cost me more than five million dollars. Um, and Ridley Scott don't come from that school. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, if I don't understand how you could even do something like that. I wouldn't even be able to look at a project and right. say, you know, how can I do this for five million dollars generational you know yeah yeah I, I guess that's that's the case too but it's more of interest to people that are trying to create to get that knowledge to know that i don't need millions of dollars mm-hmm. i don't need all this money I, I just need resources i need contacts i need people that are you know have uh equipment you know Man, i always tell people when when people send me you know, uh, they pitch me ideas and they, and they tell me their budget or they tell me that they can't produce it because of, uh, you know, a lack of a, a budget. <clears throat> I'll always ask them, like, you know, what's your resource list? What do you need? What do you need out of this project? And so I'll always say, you know, what's the most important thing that's holding you back from creating this project? And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it's the money. It's the money. It's the money. I'm like, okay, that's, that's your opinion. That's not my opinion. My opinion, my follow-up question is, what are you using the money on? What are you using the money on? Oh, because we got to buy X, Y, and Z. Okay, so the money is not the most important thing. The money is just a means to an end. It's the thing that you're using the money for, right? But what if I told you that I know a bunch of people that have what you're about to pay for already? What if you bring them in as a collaborator on the project? What if you're sharing some equity on the project? What if you bring them in as a producer? What if they just think your project is so dope that they just want to be a part of it? Maybe your red camera package is not going to cost you what it would have cost you. Maybe they still charge you. I'm not their agent. I don't know. But all I'm saying is that when you get, just start talking to people, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the people and it's the resources and then it's the money. Cause there's so many independent projects that I've been blessed to work on and have done well. It wasn't because it was a, a ton of money involved, man. We had at our last comedy show. We filmed it. It's a one hour special. We're pitching over to Netflix to become a series now. But at the live event, we've got Rhymefest performing. Rhymefest is coming off of winning Oscars, Grammys. I'm like, man, if, if I didn't know him, if I couldn't just call up Che, you know what I mean? Like I would have had to go through a whole different process a more formal process there may have been an offer at you know things of that nature but because we collaborate on things he hired me to direct his episodes for tv one change agents relationships change all of that which is why i always bring it back to when i when i'm talking about the cypher i don't care whether creative cypher is a 501c3 is his organization but at the end of the day we could dissolve the name the logo the corporate infrastructure all of that stuff but none of it would change because it's about the it's about the energy it's the community and to your point You've got someone on the panel saying, I don't want to do a film over $5 million, and he can achieve that. Yeah, because... Because he's got access. Your hand talk more in your mic. face. Your hand was in your face when you were about to talk. Yeah, we couldn't hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just uh, saying that, uh, yeah, I, pretty much all of Bloomhouse's product, projects have been very successful. And that, yeah, that's that's all. Yeah, they, they, figure, they figure out his formula. Yeah. You know, why am I going to spend any more than I have to? Right. Exactly. Um, 
that's really how this uh i mean that's even with anything any project mm-hmm. i mean even with this podcast we try to conserve resources and um i honestly it, it kind of goes back to some advice even when i first went to college you know going to college for the first time for anybody is like you know where do i begin to make you know uh inroads with finding like-minded people that you know aren't on bullshit that are really trying to get you know achieve the same dreams that i'm out here trying to achieve um and you know my mentor is just like you know just do you those people will find you you'll find them you just do you in the meantime don't bother you gonna get distracted you gonna Mm -hmm. you know find yourself trying too hard and forgetting what you who you are and that's what i that's what i found myself doing when I came in in the industry early, so when I refer back to networking and all of that, having to leave the, you know, giving myself a quota, you got to leave with a certain amount of business cards and all this type of stuff. Like, man, after a while, you know, you find, I found myself trying too hard to attract people that if I would have taken that energy and put it back into um, building my own value, mm-hmm. your mentor is 100% correct. The right people are going to attract to you, and even when, even when it's when it go to Sundance, I always tell the people I, I go with. Um, they told they made fun of me because they said I, I gave them a manifesto. I sent an email out and I said, "Yo, this is going to be a dope time, but this is what I want to achieve. These are the people I want to meet. All this type of stuff." And they're like, "Man, you send us emails." Like, but at the end of the day, you're going to be around so many like-minded individuals that want to grow and want to build. That stuff is just going to happen that you can't even plan. It's just going to be people are just going to connect with you, and you're like, "I never even thought." I'd be at an event and I'm gonna turn around and here's Idris Elba, literally at this at one event I was at, and then here's Deborah Lee and here's Craig Robinson, here's John Legend walking past and I'm like, I, you don't plan that, no, nah. especially when you get the opportunity to build with them, yeah. So, um, so like here in Chicago, uh, a lot of uh, I we were at a networking event, uh, we're really a workshop, um, to kind of learn the ins and out of developing web series from um, successful network on uh, Vimeo uh, Open Beta TV. Um, they have several shows as well as um, several in production and development currently. Um, and so I basically uh, found uh, that a couple different people that are currently making web series there, in fact, and I wanted to get you on a podcast for a while and just meeting these people. Uh, uh, what was it? Victoria and uh, what's the brother's name? Um, the, Vernon. Yeah. Sherwin. 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 That's right. Sherwin. Like, yeah. Sherwin Williams. Um, the paint company. <laughs> really? Uh, <laughs> I think that's what I even said to him when he gave me his name. But, um, yeah, they cre- they're the creators of the Low Strong. Yeah, Low Strong series. I don't know why I want to say Love Strong. But uh, they um, they told me, you know, that they had already recently, most recently created uh, the first four episodes of their uh, web series and that they were looking to create additional content. Um, and they were in production for the second half of their show. And they had met you um, who they were going to who, you know, put them in contact with some resources to get things going. How did that like where did you how did you encounter them? Were you at one of their events where they were screening a film or Yeah, they had a really dope uh screening at AMFM Gallery and we have a mutual friend. She's a part of Cypher News. Uh she told me about the event. She said, you know, I met these dope content creators. You should you should come out and meet them and check out their project. So I, I did just that, went out, met them, talked to them and um, you know, uh I liked what I saw. 
Uh, I really I appreciated their uh, attention to details. I love the music that they have on their project. And, you know, when the credits roll, you can you can tell. And, you know, it's just, it's a, a small crew that uh, wear multiple hats. And I said, man, if they were able to do this and it was just a few of them, you know, I know that if they had access to some more resources, they could take this to the next level. And when I saw it, I said, man, this is the type of content that, you know, will lead to, uh, you know, bigger and bigger and better projects. You know, um, when you think about Adventures of Awkward Black Girl and where it started and where Issa Rae is now, as soon as I saw that, even though we're talking about two totally different types of uh, storylines, but the idea of this being an independent project, when I saw it, I saw potential. And I said, well, listen, let's just sit down. First things first, let's just let's just sit down. Let's talk about your project. Let me know your goals. And uh, let, let's see if I'm the person that can help you out. You know, and when we did that, uh, they let me know what their budget was, what they were uh, or what they spent on their last project. And I, I told them, give me a wish list. Like what, you know, ideally, what would you want to be able to have access to? And I've got some amazing partners at organizations like Camry Ambassador, which is an amazing rental house, and 1104, another one. You know, they're partners with uh, Creative Cypher and Troy Pryor Studios. I said, well, give me your list. I'm going to send it over to them, see what we can do. And uh, they gave them, they gave them a, you know, a great deal. Next thing you know, they got all the equipment that they wanted. They, looked, they were looking for a location to do a, a, a specific scene, and they needed a certain look. And I said, I know the owner. You know, let's make it happen. And it was just a bunch of that. You know, it was just a lot of connecting dots. Um, so I'm really proud of what they're doing, what they uh, what they have going on. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, they allow me to come on board their project. Um, and you have, uh, in addition to the Black Panther screening, you also have... Um, your uh comedy comedy uh, sh- uh, uh, uh comedy show night comedy yeah. night with yeah. um black ensemble theater yeah and in uh what are you partnering with michi mahichi 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 it was founded by michael isaac he's actually uh as we uh dig our cars out of this snow right now this brother's on a cruise right now oh <laughs> really living it up but uh yeah man michael isaac good friend amazing performer uh understands both sides of the camera mm-hmm. and uh, i'm really blessed to be able to collaborate with him uh he's really you know at this point the um uh, as far as as far as comedy goes the one that's really helping um uh move things along Okay. You know, as far as the the talent is concerned, um, I came on board with the African American Arts Alliance, which okay. is is housed at Black Ensemble Theater, founded by Jackie Taylor. Yeah. And my original <clears throat> the purpose was to help attract a younger audience to the theater. It had nothing to do with comedy. In fact, I mean, I'm from Second City as a performer, a trainer. Uh, you know, going to the conservatory, but I'm not stand up. You know, that's not my natural lane uh and so when jokes and notes closed on 47th yeah sad day you know jokes and notes closed and you know previous to that years earlier all jokes aside the clothes founded by raymond lampert there was no platform for african-american comedians 
you know, I'm talking about platforms that gave us Bernie Mac. Yeah. That don't exist. You got platforms that, you know, gave us Lil Rel and Dion Cole and D Ray. And like the, the idea that none of that exists anymore. Yeah. Um, was, it was important awesome. to me. So when I brought, <laughs> so when Jackie brought me in, I said, well, listen, you know, whatever creative cipher does, and this is one thing that I always talk about as it relates to anything I work on, whatever, it's always about connecting dots. There are very, very few. I'm, I, I can't, honestly, I really can't even think of any project or any event that I've ever worked on where it wasn't a collaboration. I always look for ways to bring in other people in some way, shape, or form. I mean, filmmaking, creative, uh, filmmaking and music and all that is a creative process. It's a team process. Absolutely. Yeah. And who's going to know? you know, more about being on a team than a cat that was a linebacker. You know, it's 10 other yeah. people on the field, and you got 120 guys on the squad. Everybody's got their own role. You know, I'm not running down, you know, the fastest <laughs> receiver because I don't, I don't have those jets. You know? Right, but right. But you need me to bust through and hit the running back. But, you know, everybody has a role. And exactly. I came in understanding that I have a lane. I mm. can learn other lanes. But at the end of the day, I specialize in, in certain areas, and I'm a, I'm a thrive there. If I don't know how to do what you do and you're the best at it, there is no way I'm about to try to do what you do. Because at the end of the day, just like in the game, the goal is to win the championship. Mm -hmm. The yeah. goal is to get the ring. The goal is not for me to just get all the goal. And, and I, you can't do that in a team game if you're trying to play everybody's role. So when the um, when Jackie brought me on board, I said, well, listen, if I bring Creative Cypher in, we're going to attract millennials. Check. Got that. Mm -hmm. We'll raise money for two not for profits, the African American Arts Alliance and the Cypher as a as a five hundred one C three. Check. Uh, on a more cultural level, there's no platform for black comedians. And you yeah. have this beautiful facility right now and you can you can open up some ideas. And so I said, Well, let me produce your first ever stand up comedy show. And she um, I'm very grateful, I'm blessed that she took a risk. She gave me the chance, and we were able to get the talent. Michael Isaac performed. Calvin Evans performed. Uh, Wildcat performed at that one. Jessnaira Baez performed at that one. Johnny Author performed. Ryan yeah. Fest performed. We had DJ Shantae in the, in, the, in the booth. We had a dope red carpet. It was just a great energy. And I said, okay, I'm a filmmaker. I can do this for maybe two or three. Yeah. But I got to bring somebody in that knows the comedy space, and that's where Mike Hey man, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make sure that the resources the resources are in place and we got the right connections, but I, I have to release that because for this to grow, I can't be the guy that's doing that. Right. You know, um, and so we filmed that first one. We produced a one hour special. We're getting ready to film this next one coming up. And we got, you know, Black McDonald's Operator Association on board. Wow. And the last time we did it on a Monday night with both the Bears and the Cubs home game, no PR or press. Now we got press, you know, like the whole "if you build it, they will come" type thing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and so that's what that's what we're that's what we're doing. So February nineteenth, uh, get your tickets. Tickets are twenty five dollars. Uh, it's an amazing theater. It's an amazing show. Uh, you go to troypriorpresents.com, or you can go to Eventbrite. You can go on the black, you know, the Black Ensembles uh, website. You know, you can find the tickets. Yeah. And it, and I, I've because I've seen it all, like all over my my Instagram timeline. Well, I live on like Instagram when I'm not doing anything at work. But like yeah, uh, and the, and the lineup you have this time is is 
ridiculous too. It's I think crazy, Calvin man. Evans is featuring again too. Yeah, so you know they do their own. Mike and Calvin have their solo show. Oh yeah, and they come together and they do their tag team. So he's doing his solo show this time. Okay, cool. Yeah, man. How much time does that start? That's gonna start. Doors open up at seven o'clock. Showtime is at eight o'clock. Shows from eight to nine thirty. You know, so my philosophy is ninety minutes in and out. You yeah, can kick it, hang around afterwards. But you know, we're not trying to hold up the rest of your day or yeah. evening. Yeah, yeah, that's what's up. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, you know what? I forgot. Mark Hood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was yeah, actually, man, I was like, I think, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Mark Hood or Mark J P Hood, whatever True. he wants to, True. you know, use. Um, really good friend of mine. We worked on projects together before. He's gonna be performing live at the show. You, you know, you you may remember him from several several shows on television. Uh, as far as as far as acting goes. He's been a staple at Black Ensemble for years, but yeah, he was on Pharrell's team on The Voice, so oh, yeah. that's where you know a lot of people are gonna remember from The Voice. But outside of all that, you know, he's just a really cool, you know, a really cool friend of mine. And uh, I asked him would he, you know, bless us with his presence, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure he said something smart. <laughs> but yeah, he's gonna be there as well. And you yeah. got a red carpet event going on in. in as well, right? Yeah, so we've got um, uh, Lavelle Smith Hall, who's actually the um, runs a podcast called LSH, and Simeon Henderson or Mr. Chicago. Uh, they're going to be on our red carpet. So when you come out, like I said, you know, this is this is for me. This is more than comedy. This is more than a, a comedy show, a stand-up comedy show. We want to put together an experience that Chicago can be proud of. And with their no more jokes and notes, all jokes aside, this is a great opportunity to build something. So we want we want everybody to come out and have a good time, enjoy the experience. And ultimately, we want you to be able to click on Netflix and watch 10 episodes of this. That's why we're filming it. Um, I remember like what Russell did in the early 90s with Def Jam. It wasn't just comedy. Mm-hmm. It was a whole cultural influence yeah. machine it was that he was able to do because he already had Def Jam so that's why when I mentioned comedy not being my personal uh, natural lane because of creative cypher it's allowed me to go into other into other genres I mean I'm talking with YCA and Ryan Fest and other cats about doing this with with with, uh, with spoken word like what's what's stopping us yeah you know, why not yeah that would okay. be dope I, I think and it, I think that's dope just for the fact uh, I feel like the the media uh, sphere has been missing. That. At least I have. Yeah, it's not anything like Def Comedy Jam or that. Def, yeah. Because you know. like I know because I, I know when I first got into Slam Poetry, that was what I first watched was was Def Poetry Jam on team. Like that like expanded my whole view of the art form in general. Like and that's that's definitely something that's needed right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's us. Barack Obama said, we are who we're waiting for. True. Yeah. Let's True. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. man, have you, uh, so in upcoming shows, you maybe plan on collaborating with, like, Chance the Rapper? He does his open mics, and he, I, I know at some point in his uh, career, he's been exploring comedy, doing improv acting, and, um, I mean, would that be something that you would? Yeah, man, I'm, all, I'm always open to it, you know, I've, um, 
I've, I've worked with Common Ground Foundation as well. Mm-hmm. So I've pitched it over to them. So Common Ground is actually a part of the Black Panther screening. Mm-hmm. And several of the directors will also be coming to the comedy show as well. Mm-hmm. And so I told him, I said, you know, this is, I would love to see Freedom Roads and Common or Lena Wave come on board the comedy show in some type of production role. You know, they've got The Shy, which is a much grittier show. Shout out to everybody working on The Shy. Congratulations on that show getting picked up for a second season. Lena Waithe from the South Side of Chicago. Always give shout outs and props to, to, you know, credit to where credit is due. Um, and with that being a grittier drama, you know, are you open to coming on board with something that's comedic? Um, I want to see Chicago. I want this to be, you know, by Chicago for Chicago and then let everybody come here. Because yeah. one of the things as an actor, we always got the biggest question. The biggest question, if you're not on the coast, is when are you moving? Mm-hmm. So out of yeah. everything that we always do, whether it's with Mahichi and Michael Isaac's group, whether it's with the sag after local Chicago program, we always have this mentality of never feeling as though we have to leave. Mm. If you got a project, go. You know what I mean? But just don't feel as though you, you're you so limited that you have to go. Like, you're being forced. So yeah. when we build stuff, we're like, we're going to build stuff that's going to make people come to us. Yeah, Sam, um, when she was on the, podca- on the podcast yesterday, she was, you know, stressing that same message. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very true. Like, um, there is there's so much opportunity here in the city. And, uh, and you're starting to see it with all of the productions that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um major and indie so um yeah and I, i'm pretty sure lena would not be averse to doing some comedy i mean she got a, a, a emmy for writing a comedy show absolutely first african-american woman to win one right out right after uh donnie donnie wow donald glover donald glover, donald glover. <laughs> oh man atlanta where did oh, i kill yeah. him bro yeah, is, yeah. Man. atlanta is fire yeah, yeah. So uh that show is i can't wait for it to come back in march mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and uh I mean I was just I was just talking to one of my coworkers in fact they were showing me like his old YouTube man this guy has only been hitting it since 20, 20 13 years ago his career started I mean mm-hmm. publicly um uh, with his uh with his uh uh, uh what was it called the friends um shit what's the name of it uh, none of y'all have seen it, I guess. So. Nope. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I wanted to help you out. I was like, I don't know. Uh, like, on YouTube, or are you talking about his work for thirty? It was on YouTube. Let me oh. look at my watch oh. history, man. Damn. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, nah. It was um his shit that he did. <sighs> mystery team. His shit with the mystery team. It was called Derek Comedy. That was the name of the channel. Mm-hmm. And like everything on there has got like ten million views. Mm. Since wow. I mean, thirteen years ago. So, this guy, I mean, Donald, he's he's the shit. I mean, and what was that? We were talking about how people try to compare him like creatively to Jamie somebody Fox. like Jamie, Jamie Fox. Fox. Yeah, um, somebody did that yesterday. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like you can't compare the two. <laughs> Jamie is an original content creator. Yeah, man. In that like, regard, he I mean, probably could. But well, you he know what? He tried with his new. He he had a show on um what show? What network is that? Showtime actually. Really? Um, what yeah, show yeah, was that? Yeah, yeah, it's short lived. Um, it was called um, uh, White Famous, is what it was called. That was his show. Oh, that, that was, was his show. Oh, I didn't know that it was, was uh, his show. Was it Jay with, Farrell? Yeah, yeah, with Jay Farrell. Okay. I watched. I watched all of the season that they created. It was like the critics said. I mean, it would have worked in the nineties. 
it wouldn't work mm. right now because oh, okay. of everything all the social relevance and mm. the social commentary was really from the 90s it wasn't current like nothing was current about it and it was really no conflict like mm. he had everything <laughs> and it was just he just it was just him dealing with the the uh whims of the people that was around him working in the industry alongside of him well you know there's there's a story in that because like you were saying that's why you got to team up. You got to collaborate. And one of the reasons why with Black Ensemble having a their base their their bread and butter, you know, mm-hmm. their main stuff, their audience skews a little bit older. Yeah. But mm. when you know that you have to continue to build and adapt and remain relevant, you got to partner with you know other content creators, other people that are in the know that can keep this thing growing. And I think that you know I always tell people because um. You know, like, man, it's not that cats are more talented now. You know, arguably, you may have had to be more talented years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, cats coming <laughs> out of, when there were, when you had Motown, some cats, you didn't hear them for three years. Yeah. You know, they were in, a, like, uh, sports. You know, you're right. in a farm, you're on the bench, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got to ride the bench until you develop. Or, you know, you have, you know, you have your A&R, and you have, but everything is so quick, 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 quick. That if you don't really, if you're not in that world, then yeah. when you do create something, you're creating it with the mentality that you had the way things used to run. And it right. just doesn't always translate. It doesn't translate over. And I haven't seen all of the all deaf what Russell was doing when he brought back the comedy. Mm-hmm. But I, I've been told that it doesn't translate like it used to with comedy because they have a lot of the cast that are up there are like your your social media the cats mm-hmm. are coming off of social media. Yeah. You know, they, they got some good material for like one, two minutes. Yeah. But you get them on stage for 10 minutes, 15. Oh, now, yeah. It's a different type of skill set. Yeah, you can't you book somebody off of on Def Comedy Jam off of like two minutes of Instagram. So. Because they got a 10 million views off of that yeah, one clip. You know? And a lot of those cats are getting booked in commercials, on television shows, and movies because they have the fan base on social media. Right. But it does not always translate over into the chops yeah. you need as a as a, as a a performer. Not always. Sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm not knocking anybody, man. <laughs> whatever hustle, whatever, however you can get in it, yeah. you know, do your thing, man. But um, at the end of the day, you got to have those chops. Does that come back to somebody? Are we talking like creatively I, I know that's how jay farrell really kind of came through was with his youtubes with his impersonations and everybody was like a big fan of him and from there he ended up on snl mm-hmm. i feel like was that maybe one of those experiments of like taking somebody because of those views and their it, it, or is does he actually have a talent beyond his impersonations well, i'm asking this for everybody i don't know i i oh sorry go ahead now i was gonna say what i what i've uh what I have heard of him, I thought he was pretty funny. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of extensive takes of him. Like, I've only seen him in small snippets doing impersonations, and I thought they were entertaining. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure. I feel like I would, I would have to see him in that kind of setup, in that kind of forum where he has like a full, like, 15, 20 minute set. And growth from it, yeah, and yeah. see and see how like if he can if he can keep your attention that long. Yeah, Michael Che is way more funnier, man. Oh, Michael Che is hilarious. Uh, his, uh, special. his special uh, yeah. on Netflix funny, is man. hilarious. So funny. He, he made history as well. Yeah, he's yeah. the first African American hair writer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can so. see Michael Che writing a movie, doing a movie. 
at some yeah. point. Yeah. Hey, know. I'm sure he he's got he's got some in his on in his notebook. Oh, yeah. 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 Some of it, you know, is is like I said, you know, not knocking anyone's hustle. Somebody is is just knowing your lane, you know. So I would, I'd I'd be a fool to think that because of his impersonations that or you know like him getting on didn't have something to do with that yeah for sure mm-hmm. especially when you're trying to attract more millennials right to a certain show and diversity right. but if that's his lane you know what i'm saying like we we doubt you know we doubt always use sports analogies you know mm-hmm. we down oh by, yeah we're down by two points you know i don't care if you got shaq we need somebody's got the jumper you it's know true. so we need somebody that can fill this void but even if you talk about michael che i don't see him on any other sketches he does weekend update yeah, you know, Every I, time I believe that he has the talent to do other things. <laughs> yeah, but if he's in the lane, he's like, man, I'm living. You know, right? I'm enjoying hey, this right exactly. Now. If it ain't you broke, know? don't fix it. Right. Right. He's writing the other. He's writing their other skits, right? Yeah, but yeah. So he's writing. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of writers you never even see them. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about Jay Farrell, like maybe that's his lane. Yeah, I never like, knew. Let me do it. I never knew Hannibal Burris was a writer at one point for SNL. Um, until I, uh, he was, he actually was performing at the, uh, 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 not the comedy store. Um, one of the comedy venues right there, right across the street from, uh, Second City. Zanies? Zanies. He was performing at Zanies. And I went to the after party with him and just kind of like was kicking it with him for a while and shit. Nigga, uh... We had mad drinks, took mad shots and shit like that. It was cool. But um, I had finally, like, gotten to talk to him. Like, yo, you know, how, how long you been doing this? He's like, I've been doing this for a long-ass time. Like, mm-hmm. like I was I used to work at SNL and shit like that. And I think he even tried, he even weaved that in his comedy. And I was like, I didn't know you did that shit. And he was like, yeah. Um, it was short-lived and shit. I, I finally, I started, you know, on the weekends, would do the, you know, open mics at the different spots in the circuit of Chicago, uh, New York. And eventually came back to Chicago. I would come back to Chicago and do a little spot, little, uh, you know, open mics here and there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and, and that was really where he got his roots from here. Mm. Um, but I didn't know he was a writer. There's so many people you probably that came and went from SNL that you yeah, would never man. know was a writer. Um, but um, I feel like I, I'm just trying to get back to the white famous TV show. I'm just going to give y'all a breakdown of it. It just started at the wrong point. It started at the point in the main character's career where he was already on. Oh, okay. And he was just dealing with the world of, like, he had a baby mama and he was um, fucking one of the uh, executives of the studios. He was fucking his wife. He didn't know it, though. And the same exec <laughs> was also the exec that greenlit a movie that he finally was able to get in. And it was just some weird shit. That was, and that, they played that plot out for all six episodes. And nothing oh, okay. changed about the show. It wasn't, he had never had any conflict. He never had a, like, this is how I came up or no uh-huh. backstory, none of that shit. And that was the issue for me with that show was that, like, it didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel the same way just about Jay Farrell's career in general. It's just, like, there's no backstory beyond what we see, what we've seen made, made him successful. So I, I kind of get what you said. It's like, it's no groundwork of like how he got started to kind of help us invest in him more because i feel and and what i mean by that is i feel like certain people when you see like you know when that they act like really started from the bottom like yeah. oh yeah i remember when dude only had like a couple hundred views or whatever like it you you it's kind of a rapport built uh a sense of respect because it's like yeah i know for a fact this dude didn't always have it easy Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it makes it really hard, especially when like 
it's a TV show and most of the, you know I feel like most of the people like aren't go, aren't going to identify immediately with you know you already being on or especially people that are content creators and trying to get to that level yeah i feel like it'd be easier to like you said to show like him starting and working up to that point yeah because then there's also this um sense of is and I, I i it was a video i was watching on youtube uh this uh writing professor was talking about um in psychology how um viewers that watch main characters in movies and stuff that you essentially like experience the same things via the main character or something like it's a, a a tie created and so like i can i can say like on most shows like that we've seen you almost like uh feel connected and one with the character when they finally do succeed and you've seen them struggle all that time mm-hmm. it makes it that much more satisfying but like you kind of lose that when you John like just no Yes. Yes. No. Hold on. King of the North. in the building. Yes. Another GOT fan. Yeah, man. Yes. Come on, man. I keep telling. Listen. When are you, they, they don't believe me. Oh, I keep trying to tell coming. them. Bruh. They don't, they don't know. They that don't exa- know. That is a prime example of what his brother's talking about. Man. You see that journey. I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Like, started from mm. all the... <laughs> Like no no respect no love from nobody. <laughs> now I'm king of the north. What you, what, what you what are you what talking? You gotta about? watch that show from the beginning, man. I've tried. I've tried it's it twice. Man. It's I so can't do good. it. That's an amazing I don't. Show, man. I, I have yes. a hard time watching shows that use you know uh, uh, the king's English. Uh, so like it's just one of those things where I can't get into that mo- that like mode. I like Lord of the Rings because I watched it. I read the books as a kid. So I and I also did a uh, uh, I think in the original Hobbit in the back of the book, there's like a script or exercises for you to actually turn some of the uh, book into a like a play or uh, whatever. I did some of that shit. So it kind of resonated with. Yeah, yeah, he was all the way in it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I was like, I was, I was like, yo, I gotta see how they did this. So that was really my investment with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I, I'm gonna watch the Hobbit GOT. Uh, but I'm just gonna I, wait I, every see, see, I, a lot of people. Know, I've been I mean, trying to tell him for so I'll, long. I'll do it just so I can watch the last season and be able to say, all right, I watched all of it. Man, but you so. gotta, yeah, and you gotta watch it all because I never forget. I was a latecomer to uh, to Game of Thrones. And I didn't wa- I didn't start watching it un- until maybe like season four or five or something oh, wow. like that. Yeah. So I had to catch up, mm-hmm. and then you know, and I can remember being on a project, and we were traveling around the country, and they kept talking about it, and they kept talking about a, a specific scene that was in there, and, and the name of the scene was called it was called the Red Wedding. Yeah. And so that's all I watched. Oh, I, I had never seen any oh, more Game of Thrones, and the cast. Oh. My cast was so pissed at me because they were like, you don't understand. Exactly. You don't you understand don't. what you just watched. And I was like, I don't, but it was dope. You know, and that's all I knew. Man. You got to watch the whole I remember. thing. It, what episode, what season is that? I don't remember what I season. Think, I just know the name of the scene. Yeah, it's the episode, episode yeah. But, you have, and, and, but to their point, to their point, if you just watch that, you'd have no perspective whatsoever on what you're watching. I'm going to watch it from the beginning. I'm just going to wait until... It's done, you know, because I think the newest season comes out next year. Yeah, like yeah, the they they, they yeah, taking yeah. a whole year to do this last season. I'm kind of, I understand, I understand. They want to make it great, Have you ever but watched I'm like, the Expanse? Uh, or heard no, of the Expanse? I haven't seen it. It's like they call it. 
Oh, I'm sorry. They call it like Game of Thrones in space. It's, okay. Uh, so it's like very like political. It's high budget. Sci- where do you, sci-fi where is that? Sci- I was on Sci-Fi Network. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I haven't uh, seen that one. It's it's pretty dope. Um, but yeah. You were comparing it to the Game of Thrones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because okay. it's, yeah. it's like in space. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But no, that's what like the critics and the people that love the show. That's what they call it. Mm. So okay. Um, so yeah, man, uh, what's in your queue? Like your your Netflix queue, man. What, what, what have you most recently watched? Man, you know what I've been watching? Um, I just watched two Muhammad Ali specials that are, that are on there. One of them was called, well, the first one was Muhammad Ali special. Mm-hmm. The other one I just watched yesterday was called Champs, and it actually mm-hmm. talks about uh, boxing champs and uh, the likelihood of individuals coming from certain neighborhoods, having certain lifestyles, becoming champions. It's a reason why Bernard Hopkins became who he did, why Tyson became, why Holyfield. Like you see some similarities in their upbringing and their childhood that leads to individuals becoming great fighters. Like there's some deep within. Similar if you look at hip hop, right? It's like there's there's something there's there, there's something universal. Like yeah. if you're a real hip hop, there's something universal about a lot of the cats, MCs that come out, which is why when you see somebody, that don't look like they live that life, you know, talking about stuff, you like, right. you not really. Cool. Right. <laughs> well, that was what Champs was like. Mm-hmm. It was like this is why, or these are some primary reasons why Tyson was as good of a fighter as he was. If you see what he lived through, what he came through, mm-hmm. but it was a really, it was a really cool documentary. Um, you know, so that was one of the last things I watched. I've been watching a lot of the documentaries on, uh, you know, you watch one and then they tell you, oh, because you watch this, you should watch. Um, yeah. Drug Lords was one of them. They got a whole bunch of El Chapo stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they just, yeah, 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 yeah. It just like popped. Popped, I guess yeah, his trial man. is coming up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he said he said he <laughs> promised the judge that he was not going to uh, kill any of the jurors. That was yeah. intimidation right there. Yeah. Right. Like, like, who says that? Like, exactly. you know? Hey, that's that's a real gangster right there. Right. Like, I mean, that's nice. Okay, I'm going to be, be nice. I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to kill I'm any of the jurors. But <laughs> remember, I'm being nice. Exactly. This is me being nice. Okay? And I would have been right. like Homer Simpson and just walked through the that door like but but see like see my, my mind go to like because i seen the movies like that it's like i said i wouldn't kill none of the jurors but i didn't say i wouldn't kill none of their family members see that's or the I, witnesses exactly or, or the witnesses ju- or the judge, it's, you know it's like I mean? so many like loopholes to that statement it's <laughs> basically like, man oh um, man <laughs> that's wild <laughs> what do you think of all these reboots man you know what it's tough man it's tough a reboot is tough you know because Anytime you have something that's great, mm. you can't just come back. Like some things are better left, you know, left alone. Now, as a fan of some of the shows, like just hearing about Martin mm-hmm. and that reboot, I'm excited. I want to see it. Yeah. But I'm a little leery. Yeah. For that same reason you just brought up about um, Jamie Foxx and wife and uh, wife famous. Yeah. I'm like, all right, you know, I haven't seen Martin in a while like this i haven't seen that ensemble Mm -hmm. together they have to have evolved right yeah yeah so tommy's not alive tommy's not there yeah and i knew that there was or at least i heard i don't really know Mm -hmm. that there was some years of some bad blood you know between so i don't know what i'm i don't know what i'm gonna be watching 
Yeah. Right. You know, I'm, I, I mean, ideally, I want to, you know, I, I'm hoping I'm watching like the early episodes of Martin, you know. Mm, yeah. But even those those last episodes, that last season started to die down because Tisha Campbell and Martin were, we're never, never in the together. same. And it was, yeah. it changed things. It did. So I'm like, what happens when you don't have Tommy? Yeah. You know what happens yeah. with that? So, you What's know, Cole been up to? Cole still, Cole I think. I'll say I've I've seen his his face on like he's been doing plays like here in Chicago like mm-hmm. and like popping up like random like stage plays <laughs> yeah. like I see I see him every now I'm like that's Cole from right. Martin like oh, okay cockroach <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean I feel like What's that uh from Cosby Show yeah I what? couldn't get it out fast enough I couldn't get it out of my mouth yeah. fast enough man Dang. Yeah. Uh, anyway I kind of I kind of feel I like turned into mush mouth. You know but now, yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like it might work. I just, like you said, it's hard. So I almost feel like they should they should do like, and and maybe maybe not frame it as as Martin, but like, I don't know, like do a more grown up adult version. Cause like I've seen Tisha Campbell on, um, I watch Survivor's Remorse a lot. I really like that show, mm-hmm. and she's she's still pretty funny on there, even though her, you know her is her character is a little different. But I feel like maybe doing a more adult show with uh, somewhat of a different premise might work better than doing a full-on The only thing them. that I, comes to my mind when you say that is like them doing the same way that they did uh, Best Man, where they came back around and did that and everybody had matured and grown up. Yeah. I could see them doing something like, um, you know, they, Martin and Gina having kids, you know, like adding, like, yeah. you know. Something. Yeah, and in this days they would that. have like adult kids. And you yeah. know if they're gonna do that, it's gonna be a YouTube or uh, yeah. it's gonna be a YouTube star that's yeah. gonna play his son or something like a that. podcaster, son or daughter, yeah, a podcaster, because yeah, yeah, yeah. podcasts become the the hotness right now. Um, I uh, yeah, no, nah, um, it, it, what you got, Martin? Um, I feel like Phase on Love trying to get freaking Parenthood rebooted with the <laughs> by playing the antagonist on the you know on the circuit That's doing right. all his Robert interviews, Townsend, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. I got a chance to meet him a little while ago. I mean, you know, see what happens. Yeah, you know, uh, Roseanne. Hey, oh, yeah. That's right. oh yeah, I think I think that Roseanne all reboot. of that's gonna be the original. It's all the same I, folks. I feel like it's it's well, gonna still you know, be just. They grew up anyway, they, though. I mean, I we watched were, that whole show grow up, so yeah, there ain't really yeah. nothing changed about yeah. that. Josh one. Whedon started his career on that show. He was the writer. Hmm. I didn't even know that. That's right. You did mention that to me. That's dope. What else is coming out? So I know those three. Is it um, else? some they talking about trying to do a Charmed, uh, Murphy Brown. Oh, yeah. oh, oh please oh, wow. don't ruin um, Charmed, man. Do you not like so? Like back back when I was a shorty. <laughs> Charmed, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> like the WB, right? Yes, yeah, the, WB, the WB was man. I used to love. I used to love everything that came on there. Now, of course, Angel was never as good as Buffy. It no. just, it just couldn't do what Buffy did. It tried though. It, it tried. It, it, it really did. But like, just, just leave those shows alone, man. <laughs> Especially if you're not like, cause the Charmed, you, you told me they're not having an original cast, right? Nah. Oh no! Nah. If if you yeah, ain't got a list of Milano and uh, <laughs> like, like that was like no, I don't I don't want to see. I that. told you, man. He care about the ladies, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do, but that's not like the sole reason. I no, mean, no, it's no. just, a, just but the they made the characters. Show. They made the show. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I ain't trying to come on nobody's neck, but it's like 
part of me is also like, what are y'all doing right now, though? Like, I want to... You like, talking about it, them acting-wise? Yeah, because, I, I mean, I know Alyssa Milano is still doing stuff. I follow her on Twitter. Rose McGowan, she's an activist. <laughs> yeah. I follow her on Twitter. It's, but it's like, if they not on the show, then I ain't, I don't really have an interest in, in watching see, that's, that See, that is why producers lead to booking YouTube cats. Because they're like, oh, I got to get somebody that's hot right now. Next thing you well, know. Well, they ain't getting Logan Paul anytime soon. Well... <laughs> <laughs> this kind of brings me to another question. Um, you work um, on uh, the uh, board at uh, with SAG uh, locally here in Chicago, um, and that's correct, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the board for okay. SAG Chicago. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, with that, do you feel like a lot of – or is some of the intent behind some of the boot, uh, reboots, because this was something I brought up in one of our other podcasts, was that – is it so that – the people that are already in a room can stay in the room. The decision makers that mm. already—I mean, because isn't isn't there like a limit to how long you can be a part of not just the union, but as well as you know have a voting right for the academy and the awards? And well, I mean, there's a there's there's a couple different things there. So let me first separate being on the board for SAG-AFTRA uh, is a volunteer position that I'm elected to. This is mm-hmm. my third term, and our primary goal is to take care of our fellow union performers, mm-hmm. voting on contracts, working in wages, conditions, uh, you know, basic, basically making sure things are fair for our fellow performers. Mm-hmm. Now, apart, you know, aside from that, the idea of rebooting a show, <clears throat> that has to do with the studio and, you know, whoever owns that intellectual property and they want to reboot it. That's totally separate from what we deal with. We don't, we wouldn't even touch any of that until the show actually existed already. Yeah. And then somebody was booked and cast and things of that nature. So we really, as far as that, in that capacity, there's no connection. But to your point about individuals wanting to stay in the room, I'd say absolutely. But I think that's just a, that's a, any business, you mm-hmm. know, that tries to figure out how do you remain relevant? How do you stay relevant? Uh, if I'm a producer of a show, an executive producer of a show and it has a, it has a long run or whatever let's take let's take Dick Wolf for example if I'm producing Chicago Fire Law and Order and you know one of the shows has had its its run or its course and it hit over 100 episodes I'm getting that thing syndicated yeah. you know so it may not be me creating or rebooting the show but it's me keeping it alive mm-hmm. so you know and you're doing that for the obvious reason it's business you know, so if you if you're in the if you're in the position to reboot a show, if the timing works out well and you can green light something like that or get it greenlit, then absolutely. I'm trying to stay in the room. If we're making <laughs> money off of this project, True. why do you want it to stop? Yeah. Right. You know? So but I just wanted to first separate those those two those two things. Um, SAG doesn't have anything to do with the producers bringing a show back. Um, working with uh, uh, on the board of SAG, and sh- uh, do you, um, you 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 know it's a lot of good shows coming to Chicago now. It's a lot of uh, pilots coming to Chicago now as well. I mean, when pilot season comes, a lot of Chicago's t- talent gets their their shot. Um, do you feel like that has grown a great deal over the course of uh, both your time working with SAG as well as prior to then? Uh, absolutely, I would say. There was a period of time before I came on board the union, and this had more so to do with the, the industry and the market as a whole in the city, uh, where there was kind of a, a dry spell. It wasn't a lot going on here, but one of the 
biggest catalyst to all of this uh, was the Markopolis and Pizios family when they bought Ryerson Steel, which then became Cinespace. So that used to be a steel, uh, I believe it was a steel plant. Wow. And um, Markopolis uh, uh, rested so passed a few years ago, uh, and they, they were based out of Toronto with Cinespace as their headquarters. They came to Chicago and, you know, one step at a time, converted that whole 70-plus acres of land into 30-plus uh, sound stages, offices, rental space, rental houses, um, a space for DePaul, uh, our incubator in there, Stage 18. We have our own 7,000-square-foot soundstage there yeah. that was specifically designed for independent filmmakers. That was the, the biggest catalyst, to be honest with you, because there are, you know, they're SAG-after boards and locals and all other places, and it all helps. But at the end of the day, you need resources. So if I'm a filmmaker, I need to come somewhere where I have a soundstage where I have access. Dick Wolf's Chicago Fire was one of the was another piece to that puzzle because when Chicago Fire hit and it stayed, then right after that came Chicago PD. Mm. And then right after Chicago PD, there were a couple of the shows, but then the monster came, Empire. Empire <laughs> came that first season. Oh yeah. You know, whether you like the content or not, the numbers don't lie. Every single episode broke a record. Well, Danny Strong, I believe Danny Strong and um, and uh, Lee Daniels put together uh, was a monster. So what it did again for Chicago, it gave a lot of Chicago performers an opportunity. Um, same thing with the Dick Wolf shows, and now then Med came. Amazon had a show here called Patriot. Uh, oh, Netflix yeah. had Sense Eight that oh, was yeah. here. Yeah, they yeah. also have um, uh, Easy. Okay. That they shoot here. Southside um, got picked yeah, up. Netflix. Southside, which is actually a Comedy Central project yeah. about Chicago. And then The Shy this past year. Yeah. So more and more. And then a bunch of and independent Shameless. stuff, too. Yeah. Shameless shot exterior, yeah. shoots exteriors here. And all of that is pretty much centered around Cinespace. Wow. Like if you took Cinespace out of that equation. Yeah. Man. Avery DuVernay has a show that she's developing. It's supposed to take place in Chicago. Oh, really? I would love that. Oh, that's dude, what's up. Man. Little Rail has a show taking place oh. in Chicago, too. Yeah. I'm not sure if that'll be yes. shot in studio, but it would be here. nice if it was brought Absolutely, here and man. shot in Sin Space coming, as well, man. man. Keep it yeah. coming. She announced it. Uh, it was announced in the news uh, via oh. deadline. It got greenlit by CBS. Gotcha. Um, in addition to a uh, series that is being adapted from um, Eric, um, the former Attorney General Eric Holder. Holder. Mm -hmm. um, his his real life story is being adapted mm -hmm. into a okay. um, series as well about a young um, up and coming uh, you know black lawyer who mm -hmm. works mm -hmm. you know heavy trials and becomes a eventual AG. So. Yeah, um, like films like Southside, I mess up. Southside with you, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that was Obama. that was a good movie yeah. Bob too. Title, Bob Title, who's actually yeah. a producer. I mean, um, Bob Title is uh, from Chicago as well. Who's a producer on that one? He was also Soulful, Roll Bounce, right. uh, oh. Barbershop. Yeah, all those films. Eric Haywood, um, he also uh, he's from Milwaukee, my hometown. Um, he worked on Soul Food as well as currently with Empire. I believe this season maybe last season he directed his first episode okay so, but um yeah he's been a writer on that show for, since the i believe the first season well, that would be dope if she brings out because ava has a film collective called array 
And, you know, that's yeah. not kind of Hercules. And they have divisions in multiple cities, but they don't have a Chicago branch. Yeah, I've donated to uh, them when they were a firm. Um, okay. I, w- I became a, a firm rebel. Okay, um, you were a rebel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a rebel, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I've been uh, clo- closely watching um, a lot of uh, just not just her work, but a lot of independent work uh, that she's promoted through Array, um, as well as a lot of the uh, – creators even after uh working with array um and it's uh i mean yeah she's she could very well uh bring her show as well as i mean Lil rail bring his show to chicago um Mm -hmm. those are shows that are right now in pilot season hopefully they'll get green lit it seems like it would it would make sense because she's connected with oprah on this um Queen Sugar. Um, Queen Sugar. Queen Sugar. Oprah's in Wrinkle Time. Oh, Greenleaf is. Man, listen. Greenleaf is actually really good. I, and maybe it's because. I need to. I was going to say, and maybe it's because I grew up in the church. So <laughs> so for me, like, watching, I'm like, damn. I'm like, yeah, stuff like this be happening sometimes. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. And it's like. It, it, ha- it definitely has some moments where it's like. Okay, this is getting to be a little mellow. It like it gets it get, hits that mellow drama point a little bit here and there. It's like, really, like all that, like okay, that's a little bit much. But for the most part, <clears throat> uh, it's just it's very it's very interesting for me to watch because I feel like it um it allows you to see the church as a as a business which I think a lot of people don't realize like that's the church is pretty much like, yes, it's there to give you inspiration and hope and things like that. But it allows you to see it from another perspective of the people that are actually running the church mm-hmm. from like, you know, cause people know like, Oh, just as much drama happened in church, but they don't, I don't think they look at it from the perspective of the drama with, I'm trying to get it, keep a sustainable business going yeah. amidst mm-hmm. all of these different dynamics in people and i don't like this and and, you know and things like this it's very interesting to watch though i mean that makes sense because at the end of the day like this is their livelihood you know they still have to pay bills and mortgage Mm -hmm. and all that stuff too so and yeah and and then uh the the father man i wish i had my uh my internet hooked up um the guy who plays the father in there you all would know know his face immediately he's is it keith david Sweet. Um, so, just to double back, um, on Creative Cipher, um, founder of Troy Pryor Studios. How did you? We, I mean, we've been talking a lot about journeys and stuff. How did you get to this point in your journey? Um, where, where, what's your background? You know, uh, my background actually had nothing to do. Actually, had nothing to do with entertainment. I was always church, school, and sports. And my sophomore year, excuse me, my freshman year of high school, excuse me, I'm all jacked up. My senior year of high school, I blew my knee out. And I was coming from playing four sports in high school, going to college, play ball and all that type of football. Um, I blew my knee out. And when I got to U of I, um, I had to really grind. Yeah, just yeah. To get, yeah, yo. I had to, I had to really grind to get to the point where I could, you know, just walk normally again. And then I had to wait an additional year just to get back in a position where I could compete at that level. And I walked on to the football program at U of I my sophomore year as a 200, as a 205 safety. 
the walk-on coordinator was a linebacker, and so I was getting blown up because he pulled me onto the linebacker unit. I'm getting blown. I'm a 205 Big Ten. That ain't going to cut it. Yeah. So I went up to 250. So I say all that to say that was a big part, a big, you know, part of my journey in, uh, in the things that I wanted to do, and none of that had anything to do with entertainment. Well, that summer, after I had walked onto the team, uh, Tyler Perry was doing a film called Daddy's Little Girls in Atlanta on property that my family was a property manager for. So they called my family out, and they're like, you know, come out, be extra. I signed up, be extra. Extras casting director stopped me, said I got something else for you. And then next thing you know, I'm in, a, I'm in the background as an extra in a scene with Gabrielle Union and Craig Robinson, who I found out is from Chicago, Southside. And Tyler Perry's there and all this type of stuff. Uh, I don't. Really, I talked to Craig Robinson, but I didn't meet anybody else there that day. I didn't talk to Tyler. It was all that. They gave me, you know, I signed my voucher. I left, and that's it. That was it. Going back to the gym. Next day, I'm in the L.A. Fitness in the gym. I get a call over the intercom. You have an important message at the front desk. First thing, I'm like, who's calling me at the gym? You know, <laughs> over the intercom. Right. So I go to my phone first. I got 17 missed calls, and I find out that Tyler Perry wanted to know who the extra was. So he called the extras casting director. The extras casting director called my aunt, who was a property manager, called my other aunt, who I was staying with. Everybody's trying to reach me right now. So, you know, long story short, maybe two hours later, uh, I'm sitting down in a one-on-one meeting with Tyler Perry. <laughs> You know, and he's talking about my potential in the industry. But I was just an extra that day, the day before or whatever, like it was just in a 48-hour period. Now, keep in mind what I just said before. I just came back from blowing my knee out, just walked onto a Division One football program, mm-hmm. and finally getting able, being able to do what I, what, I, what I wanted to do the whole time after having been an athlete in, you know, in high school and all that stuff. So that's what I wanted. I just got back. Forward. And the other thing is the NCAA gives you a certain amount of time to be an athlete. And once your clock starts, you can't come back. You have five years to play four in college, which is why you always hear of a red shirt sometimes. Mm-hmm. So people come in as a freshman, they red shirt that first year. They don't play. And then they have four more years to play. Mm-hmm. So they have five years to play four. But once your clock starts, that's it. So by me joining the team as a sophomore year, I had three years to be a college athlete. If I wanted to do anything else with the game of football, it had to be done then and there. So when that opportunity was given to me, to me, what I felt like as a fluke, I had to respectfully decline. So I'm like, I've invested nothing in the entertainment industry. I haven't taken acting class the first, other than some other stuff I, you know, I had taken some honors acting classes through, through high school, but it wasn't for me. So... I came back to U of I, finished playing, and when it was clear the NFL was not in my future, I came back to Chicago, signed with an agency, started my voiceover TV film career, and things just came full circle. You know, eventually I got to the point where when you get tired of staring at your phone waiting for a casting director to call you, you're like, I got I to gotta make it happen myself. You know, and I started making projects that sucked. You know, the stuff does not <laughs> look good at all. And then you realize what you're doing. It sucks because you're doing too much. You the direct, you you're the director, you the producer, you writer, you the star. You're doing too much, man. Get, get some, get some support. And so coming from a background, my family being in clergy and community, I was able to always connect with people. Being on set, being at you know this union, uh, I don't know, mixer or this you know, acting mixer or whatever, I was always able to connect dots, which that inevitably turned into me having a large network of individuals that I could reach out to that also wanted to produce 
or at least create their own opportunities. That continued to evolve into Creative Cypher. Um, so I started my production company first, and then I saw that even though I had all of these you know, resources, if you're not connecting the dots efficiently and working with the right people or being a great talent scout, it doesn't matter because you'll still produce something as whack. So that's when Creative Cypher came into place because everybody told me to move from Chicago. And I said, I'm going to start. It was started out as an experiment to attract the right people. And then it just continued to evolve. And it went from being a networking mixer to a live, a live produced event, ultimately aggregating, you know, great artists and individuals in the industry. I mean, we had Sway from MTV at one of our events. Rhymefest was one of our speakers. Regina Taylor, you know, was one of our speakers who had our show up, uh, I think, Stop Reset over at the Goodman Theater. So we had a gambit of individuals that were bringing in and Issa Rae at the, you know, the other event. Uh, with UIC mm -hmm. uh, so Cypher started to become its own thing its own artist resource community and bank that's what I look at it as that was my goal with the Cypher to become a bank Cypher to become a bank whenever you needed something psh, it's there so ultimately you never had to wait on anybody you never had to ask for permission mm -hmm. as long as it, as long as the content has been is vetted because that's what we also <coughs> do is we want to make sure if we allocate resources that is quality because we want to make sure that when that product goes out, it looks, you know, it looks like it's worth watching or listening to. Um, and so then the Cypher, you know, became a non-for-profit. So it allowed us to do other things from an educational standpoint, mentoring. We made sure that all of our, pro all of our projects had some type of uh, job shadowing opportunity. And that's when we started partnering with Donda's House and Common Ground Foundation. And the individuals that are on our leadership are all sitting on panels and they're mentoring youth, the free spirit media and all of that. Uh, and it was like the more we gave, the more we would get. And then eventually what people norm what people saw was us doing, doing like, OK, they're helping out here. They're helping out here. They're sitting on this panel. They're sitting on or they're putting on that workshop. They're bringing so and so in. But what they weren't really paying attention to is that every time we would do that, we were receiving, you know, this organization said, man, whenever you have a next event, you can do it here. Mm. You know, when yeah. uh, if you want to if you want to do a screening or you can use our theater. So in like four years, we started acquiring resources and access mm. to pretty much whatever we wanted in the city of Chicago. That then turned into exactly what we wanted. And that was to be in a position as an independent content creator to never have to ask for permission. Mm. If you needed a, I mean, from the from the beginning, the inception of an idea, developing it all the way to the idea being done, and you need a theater to showcase it, you need to you need some access to put it online, uh, backing up. You need financing, and you know, having conversations through Sundance with Urban Movie Channel and Macro Ventures, and um, at the time, Cold Black Entertainment, who's that individual is now going to a digital platform now. All these platforms are content hungry. What do you have? What do you have? Cypher becoming an incubator now, you know, mm -hmm. not just a community, but now there's programming to where, all right, there's 50 artists here, there's 100 artists here, there's 2,000 artists here. If there are 25 projects out here, maybe five of those projects, once they're vetted, that conversation now goes to one of these platforms that are looking for content now. Mm -hmm. So now it becomes a, a, a pipeline, you know, so it's a, it was a process. What, do you, what kind of advice do you have for anybody who's currently um, trying to develop uh, content? Uh, what would be the priority? Um, getting it out there or getting it right? 
getting it right. I was oh man, I forgot the I forgot the guy's name. Gary, uh, some motivational speaker, has a large following on social media. Gary, um, I forgot his last name, but it's Gary. Um, okay. But he he was giving a kid advice who said they wanted to be a YouTuber, and he said, "Don't worry about how many followers you have. Make good content." And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. All of that stuff that I just mentioned is important. Yeah. It's needed. Resources are needed. But when somebody goes to your channel, clicks on whatever, sits in the audience, they don't care about any of that stuff. All these people that are about to go watch Black Panther, the majority of them could care less how long it took to make the film. (laughs) The majority of them could care less how, you know, how many times they had to do that flip. Mm-hmm. They the majority don't care. They want to be entertained. As the creators, we know you need. We know that it has to be important to us. Mm. But to to the majority, they don't care. Which means the most important thing is quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has to be good quality. Uh, and I think that in order for it to be good quality, you have to be passionate about it. It has to be something that you're passionate. You can't be passionate about something that, you know, isn't true to you. So, you know, quality content, you know, getting it right is is way more important than getting it out. But <laughs> you can't, you cannot, you can't neglect the importance of having it. distribution or having access or having outlets. Uh, it's just that you can have all of those resources and, but it could be even more detrimental to you because you can ruin relationships if you give them something that's not worth them distributing. Mm-hmm. So it's way more important to make sure your stuff is tight first before you even start having those conversations. Because sometimes, man, you only get one shot. That elevator pitch, you got 30 seconds, man. Mm-hmm. You know, if you spend all your time trying to get in the elevator and then forget what you're supposed to say, <laughs> what's the point of being in the elevator? So you you got you gotta have the, the content has to be ready it has to be right. Um, well, I appreciate you joining us on the podcast, Troy. Um, and definitely look forward to uh, connecting with you again. I'll be in attendance at the uh, comedy night for sure at Black Ensemble Theater. Um, definitely. I know that the Black Panther is a community screener for the kids, so I my kid is too young to even see it. Um, <laughs> she'll see she'll see it years from now. I mean, it'll be a lot more Black Disney princesses and kings and queens along the way yeah. so um I, i'm sure she'll see those as well um but both of these guys work in schools is there any way that you can are, are there tickets that they could potentially maybe give to some of their students that they so know? we're gonna find out uh, or do you have week? specific schools yeah so we have specific organizations that we've worked with okay. mm-hmm. uh, that all the tickets were allocated to but we're gonna find out this week what's left over because, uh, you know, once it, we didn't really promote it, really. I mean, mm-hmm. a couple of us put it on our own social media, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like a PR blast because it yeah. wasn't a general ticket giveaway. Yeah. But um, I will say what we are moving towards and it's probably going to be locked in probably next week is a wrinkle in time. Mm-hmm. So we are going to be opening this that up. This is the pilot. Yeah, yeah. So this was really a test. Yeah, yeah. They want us to do a wrinkle in time with them at the theater over there. So and uh, we're probably going to be tailoring that more towards women mm-hmm. you know so in it's the, you know, uh i mean march is women's uh exactly. awareness uh, women's month yeah basically. so we're so, gonna you know. we're going to 
we're going to work on getting a panel as well. Uh-huh. That'll okay. be pretty much the staple. Okay. Give away tickets and have uh-huh. an educational takeaway uh-huh. to that, and it's still a kid's film. So obviously we're it's open, mm-hmm. but we're probably going to be working with some uh, some women organizations as well for that one. Uh, and I th- and my hope is that we can maintain that relationship, and as they've already presented it to us, taking it, you know, nationwide. But um, you know, as long as we keep getting the sponsors to come in, you know, Dang. we can we can continue to provide um, that because it's it's important. Representation is important. You know, it's important to see. Uh, you know, people that look like you. Yeah, Absolutely, man. Yeah. It'd be interesting to get some of the ladies that work over at the tribe, which is uh, the uh, kind of like the youth African American uh, skewed version of like the Chicago Tribune. And okay. A lot of uh, one of the co-founders of that, um, she's African American sister. They have a, a monthly event at the Revival. Um, yeah, okay. Where they invite uh, different content creators and uh, the host of our show has a has a comedy show there called Faded T Murph. He has a regular show called Oh Faded yeah at uh, at Revival. That's right. Now that you say that, yep. yeah, I've seen that uh, promo for it. Um, but yeah, man. Um, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for uh, thank me. you for anyone still listening in uh, to Films D podcast. This has been another take of Films D. Uh, follow us, subscribe at filmsd.com. Thank you for listening. Peace. 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 Peace.